Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for doing all those things. Uh, Seldom. Has the Rugby Dungeon been so busy? But it's pretty busy tonight. We've got uh, five people in here. And, uh, well, I've not got my usual type of guest. In fact, I don't think it's going to be my usual type of podcast. So, uh, hello, Craig. How, how are you, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. You? Uh, yeah, good. What, what do you think of our little setup this evening? It's, uh, well, it's a great room. Uh, <laughs> slightly getting used to cameras being in my face um, for the last couple of days, but no, it's good. Yeah, it's um, it's bizarre. I've never had ca- cameras here either. Well, no, we've got a small webcam, uh, which occasionally we leave running once we're finished, and you know we talk about all sorts of things on YouTube that we shouldn't be talking about. But other than that, no, we don't often have cameras in here. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Why are why have these people been following you around for the last few, few days? <laughs> I'd like to say no, the answer, but I don't. No, no. Um, so obviously, um, I've. I've Sort of had like some some, some nominations through uh, well not nominations some finalist things through um, for sort of like some some awards for obviously like sort of things that I've I don't know things that I've done over the uh, over the last sort of few years um, one sporting excellence uh, for an award for sporting excellence so obviously that that covering um, sort of like my sport recovery journey sort of to to using that voice created through that recovery to sort of obviously like help other people. And then another one from the X Forces is in business, um, which is for inspiration of the year, which is based solely around sort of the stuff I've done with the Stell Sharks Trust, um, with the forces project that we've got there, and all the mental health stuff that we 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 do too. So it's been a so because of that, I'm guessing (laughs) we've been joined by these fine people. Channel Craig coming up. (laughs) Uh, Tell me about the Sharks Forces Trust. So the Sharks Forces side of the trust um, was a project that sort of like got built. We're in our third year now, so we're like, so yeah, call it two years running. Um, and we pretty much I got brought on not long after sort of returning from competing in Chicago. Um, I got it's always like a, a standing joke in within the team. Um, is that like sort of I was found in a park? Um, it's quite true. Um, I was found in a park, <laughs> but I was basically I was doing a chalk coming back from from Chicago, I was doing a talk at a Disability and Inclusion Day um, for Team UK, and basically the Social Action Community Trust was there, and we got chatting, and then pretty much led to where the Forces programme, though, uh, mainly hits the transition side of the military. Obviously, it helps through... Does, does rugby, be, rugby being one of the main sports in the, in the Army obviously massively helps, and then 
using that and using the power of the Sale Sharks brand and stuff has is, is, is sort of been, been, been massively influential and in sort of helping them sort of guys transition. Um, that's not meaning the lads transitioning who've just got out. Um, yeah. It means lads who have been out 20 years, 30 years. We've, we, we're still making sure that, like, that they can transition. Obviously, transition is a term pretty much used quite loosely in terms of a lot of people think that you can transition straight away. Some people are just not ready to transition. And, and it's mainly about accepting who you was and working with who you was to become who you are. And that's pretty much the sort of message we sort of try and get, get out of Sharks Forces. Is Like, I was a very lost boy after leaving the military. and uh, Obviously, a lot of... Lot, lot of issues and stuff, and and I probably still am trying. What I'd call, I'm still transitioning, but my transition has probably been a very random one. But it's no blueprint, but it's it, it. What I've done sort of seems to have worked. So it's not pushing that on everyone or trying to force that on everyone, but it's just using my knowledge and and sort of what I've done to sort of help others, and and that's through various social events, and that's through various social events. Um, yeah, through various social events, whether that be tea or coffee mornings, days out, or um, all the new thing which we've got on, which is every sort of like Tuesday morning at seven a.m. and Thursday at, at, at two, which is dog walking, yeah. uh, which is just something simple just to get active. So it's various things, but we can help with like housing. We've had lads who have been, we've had veterans who were homeless. We've helped get them into housing. We've had lads who needed mental help, uh, mental health help, and and we've managed to sort of skip the queue and get them to the top of the queue by being who we are. Um, We've got jobs for, for guys and girls who needed jobs. Um, and more so, we've built a community. And I think that's probably the important thing is when you get out, it, the military's a bubble. You're very well protected. Um, when that bubble pops, like the world comes closing in and, and sort of that's what we've managed to sort of get out of what of everything is we've created a community that wasn't there. We filled that gap using rugby. Um, and it's proved pretty popular. Well, we're in our third year now, so let's see how this sort of year rolls. So, I, you know, in the space of like five minutes, we've gone through an awful lot, an awful lot of stuff about what about what you do, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening is wondering, like, where on earth did you come from? So, so you're in the forces. You joined, well, you joined the army rather young, right? Did you come straight after, straight out of school into the army? Yeah, so I sort of joined, started my application. I like the world's youngest. I started it not long after, sort of my. Um, 15th birthday um, and then sort of obviously then I was 16 in the July um, uh, my first day in the army I was 16 on the tw- on the 12th of July and my first day in the army was the 7th of September so yeah I was like literally <laughs> like a couple of months after being 16 so yeah would you have tried to get in earlier if you could if you could still lie for your age like they used to in the olden days and yeah I'd done anything to sort of get out of the situation I did join just to get out of my situation I think was the main what was your situation? Um, so I was from like sort of a bit of a broken home. Um, pretty much everyone from a council state is though, so it is what it is. Um, and it, I, like obviously, you just deal with that card. Like it, you know, it didn't, it don't phase me. Not bothered by it. Like my brothers uh, were obviously quite heavily involved in sort of like the gang sort of culture, or should I say, like wanting wanting to be gangsters. Um, yeah, and. I didn't want that. Like we, we always crack jokes in our family and say there's a Monaghan gene where it makes us sort of a bit more robust, a bit more of a like a bit more of a warrior, a bit more of a fighting man. I just wanted to put that into sort of great practice. And like my sister, she put it, she put it into practice. She's a nurse now, moved to Australia last month and and stuff like that. So I just wanted to do something different, some break that chain. You're from a military family? Um, no, I'm not. Uh, my uncle that I'd never met was in the military, served in the Falklands. 
Um, but that was the only link to the military. Um, so it was sort of way out of my comfort zone. But So when you joined up then, how was that initial experience? How did it differ from what you were used to? A teacher shouted at me once in school and I was um, 15 years old and I swung at him. Um, <laughs> and that's the fair to say, I never was allowed in geography again. Um, but joining the army, like uh, I was sort of ready. I knew people were going to shout at me and I knew I couldn't swing at them. So when the first person... Um, First person who shouted at me was like on the first day. Is a massive guy. I've never seen a guy to this day. He's like the only way I can describe it is like a like a. Give me a sharks player as a sort of. That's what I was thinking of, like a Val Mostoff or someone, like a Ross Harrison, but slightly taller. Um, was probably what he looked like, and he's shouting at us because we were taking our time, and what we were taking our time doing was going to the shower, and he was st- so we we rushed in and. This guy who's a really tall Ross Harrison who stood naked and we're all 16 <laughs> years old and he's and he's teaching us how to wash and he's literally screaming at us talking about how brushing your teeth is tactics and we'll and we'll keep you alive at war and I'm thinking if brushing my teeth is gonna is gonna keep me alive in war then I, I, I'm good to go like I can brush my teeth. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. So yeah, so that idea of that idea of discipline. I mean. Was it that that appealed to to you, or was it just the fact that you're going to get some guns and <laughs> nah, it was the money? Uh, I'll be honest, it was the money. Um, like my family, we never had money, sort of thing. And like I always remember, like my first, I was literally talking about it the other night. My first paycheck in the army uh, was six hundred and sixty-six pound, and I remember thinking, I'm I'm, I'm loaded, like uh, I'm wedged. Thought I could move out the hood from it, like <laughs> <laughs> like it generally was the money aspect, the fact that I was could get away from. Yeah, I'd get away from Wimmingshaw, and I did sort of swear that I'd never come back to Wimmingshaw until I couldn't afford to buy somewhere, and uh, uh, and like that that was bang to its word. At eighteen years old, I bought an apartment in Wimmingshaw, and it, I'd say an apartment. It became a lad's pad, but that's a different story. But yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's the sort of first thing that you learn when you sign up? Because you signed. Sorry, before I go there, did you know you were going to join infantry, or did they tell you you're going to join the infantry? So I, wa- I walked in the um, careers office and was met by. Um, a Royal Logistics driver, Royal Logistics Corps driver, and his words were, do you want to join a Logistics Corps? Like, um, you get qualifications, and I went, yeah, he's like, uh, I think I said, no, I've used Google once, and like, <laughs> you just don't do anything, and he sort of took it really offence, and then the next thing they say, this lad who was like, leaving the army, like from, I think it, it was a local regiment at the time, the Cheshire Regiment, they're called Mercians now, um, and he was like, oh, you want to join the infantry, and that's like what you want to do. And my aspect was, if I was going to be a soldier, like I was going to be a soldier, like I was going to go away and fight. And, uh, no point in doing things in half. Like I, I strongly live by a saying which I still sort of live by now and certainly which helped me, and it's like moderations for cowards. And what's the point in joining the army to be a guy that looks good in uniform when you could be a guy that looks good in uniform but actually do his job, and that's pretty much the... The thing I did, so my response to him when he tried to get me to join his local regiment, which is nothing against them. Obviously, they've served in Afghan too, and like they've lost lads too and stuff. But I just I didn't want to be tied to a local area, and that's and that's it. And nothing concerned you about it. I don't think I thought about it. Like I was the I was the guy that wanted the big fight, wanted the war, and and it's probably the empathy of a warrior. Like you do want that fight, and you do want it at the highest caliber. Um, and I always remember, like, if I could go back now, probably will, still will have joined the infantry. I 
probably wouldn't have wished on that fight. Like that's just because obviously I did get the high fight at the highest caliber, but I was well aware of the risk. Um, growing up where I lived, there was a lad across the road from me who. Um, I'm not why I'm laughing. It's probably not a funny subject. Um, who had joined the army and he joined. He, he was a fighting man. He was infantry. He was in paras and I got on really well. His dad was a firefighter. Um, who been in the paras and been in the Clinton. And this guy literally was just coming home all the time. And it sounds and I don't mean it in like a a bad way, but he had everything. He had like the nice car. He had women hanging off him. It was like. I was like, yeah, I wanted a bit of that life. And then he sort of went to Iraq and then another lad from Women's Shore, like Oddly Ellis, um, as I was sort of going through my application, that like, ultimately uh, died. And that sort of did bring it a bit home to me. Like, I, uh, I, I'd only, I'd never really met him. I I knew his sister quite well, but I never really met Lee um, over an in passing when he was visiting or whatever and, and stuff. But that sort of, then I started, that was a sort of bit of a wake-up call, like this is for real and it's not just about girls and nice cars and but I still sort of wanted it still. Do you get a sense of the serious of seriousness of what you're going to do when you go through training? Probably not. I know they try and put it in you and you go on like this cheesy battlefield tour where you go and like look at Pegasus Bridge and stuff, which is all well and good. Obviously, that's a sacrifice that that, that needed to be made at that point in life. But Where's Pegasus Bridge? Um, Normandy. So it's sort of like you fly you to Normandy for a week and you try and settle in, like look look, look about like the war sites and stuff and... But everything's been so desensitised about World War Two now. It's sort of it's like forgot about. It's just you just look at them and think, oh, it's just, the the phase will get used. Like about World War Two, people just think old men and medals. That's all they think. They don't think about what actually they did. So I probably weren't. I was ready for Afghan, like I was ready to fight, but I weren't aware of the reality of it until probably I stepped off the plane. When I stepped off the plane in Afghanistan. Uh, as we our plane was coming on, the plane next to us was the casualty plane. Oh god. So as I'm walking down the steps and walking across the tarmac to this this van, um I looked back and I literally seen bodies and of people getting loaded onto the onto this flight and, and sort of I'm like walking across like um body armour open and my helmet in my hand. You know, like thinking and thinking of my lad now, like I'm at war, like I knew in a couple of days I was gonna face the enemy and stuff, but like, these lads were having the worst day of their life, all turned up into the tidy knots, getting on a plane with legs missing, arms missing, whatever. You could hear him moaning and screaming. And that brought you home a little bit. Um, that was probably a big wake-up call. And then, like, don't be wrong, I was a very serious soldier. Like, I was, some would say, like, I was tipped to sort of go on and do sort of great things. So then I had nothing at home. So the army was everything. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why I put it in, put that effort in. And I was aggressive and I was, like, I was the typical... What you'd expect from a lad growing up in Wimmershire, like, uh, but I just put it into a really good context in the military, and and sort of that was probably the biggest wake up call and the biggest thing that made me think, right, you're, this is this is real now. Was probably that that probably instant walking off that flight. Did did you have a feeling of invincibility when you were going through training? Probably not through training because the, the 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 training team we had were all absolute animals, um, but certainly. You do feel like you're the daddy when you are on leave, or you like you feel hard. You feel like no one can touch you, and I think that's probably why. If we refer back to like Sharks forces, I think that's why that's so important. Is in the army to survive, you have to have an ego and you have to be a big character. Yeah, and and I think that's probably the biggest thing that people worry about is when you get out, you can't be have that ego. You can't be a big character. You've got to find where you fit in in the pecking order in the army. You're told like like I used to walk through 
camp and people would shout, don't look at these lads, like, because you're the best. Like, that's what people would think. Like, <laughs> we were the empathy, like... How, we, um, how do you mean? So, like, literally, like, support arms were allowed to sort of, like, look at us. Like, our, our corporals would shout and don't look at them. You're not good enough to look at these. And, and, if, and, like, and if they did look? They'd get shouted at, like, told to look away and stuff. <laughs> that sort of, you, you fed that massive ego, like, nothing can hurt you. And, like, and you have to be. You know what I mean? Like, I spent, I spent, up until the point I got injured, like, I spent four and a half months of over 270 firefights, like. How many? 270. I was a weirdo and took a tally shot of every incident I was winning. Wow. Um, which is what we use on the thing. So that's probably why it's important that something like Shouts Force is, is there because that when that comes crashing down, you can't walk into Civic Street with that ego. A, you ain't going to get a job and B, you'll just get flattened, like, on the outside. And, and that's pretty much where we do. We pick up the pieces there and rebuild them. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when you put it like that, because I guess you don't have that, you know, that support or your mates or, you know, it, it must be a, a one hell of a reality shock, actually, when you come into what feels like a fairly soft world. And actually, it's, you know, it's pretty brutal just in different ways. Yeah, yeah, very like in the army, you know what you're getting. You know, every six months, you're probably going to deploy, you know, for four out of them six months, you're probably going to be working and your money's your own and. You've not really got responsibility. Yeah, you're just, the whole country relies on you, and you're the, in that inferior. You're the hammer to be thrown. It got described to me a perfect way is, and it was described to me by a priest. My job was to take things. So, in that, my job was to take things. When democracy failed, I was there to go and take it back. That was my job. Like, was if that isn't working out, you're gonna go. You're gonna be violent, and you're gonna take what what's ours. And that was pretty much all. So, if you look at how simple my life was, I'd get up in the morning. I trained to take something back and then I'd go to bed at night. And then all of a sudden I came home and one of the things I constantly referred to is I lived in an apartment when I left the military and the newest lad in the, the newest lad in the block in the military will take you take you will take your rubbish out. Um I lived in this apartment, I put my rubbish outside, my door came out three days later and the bag was still there and I was I was fuming. <laughs> um why is my bag still there? And yeah. Like and one of the things like it was quite common obviously it's it's no it's no secret obviously like I did Obviously, I got wounded, so obviously you get quite large payouts and whatnot and and stuff. And I always remember uh, probably like a, a pinnacle point. Um, I had like, and it, it's 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 quite public, you know. I had over a quarter of a million pound in the bank, but I didn't know how to pay a bill. Wow! Like I never knew how to pay a bill. I, a guy knocked to my door once, and he was like, "Oh, you've not paid your electric. We're going to cut you off." And I was like, "No, I've got money, mate." And he's like, "It's not the point. You've got this." And I generally didn't know. Like, I generally didn't understand how to pay a bill. And that's probably why, that's why, sort of, so we're, for example, we're going into a, we're going to um, Berwyn Prison um, in April to help the soldiers who've ended up, for whatever reason, ended up in prison. And one of the biggest things we put in that is financial budgeting. Yeah. Because that's, I didn't know how to pay a bill when I got out. And that's why, so this course that we've created is to put that, is to teach them how to pay bills and, like as an education package to sort of bring them out and so they come out and they don't have them issues. Like, it, yeah, it's those really weird sort of day to day things that people don't understand. People need because you take you take it for granted. Bill paying, basic li- basic literacy, basic literacy. You know, being able to you know, read the best times table, just just weird things like that. that. And that's the biggest thing. Where we just had literally an incident at, uh, um, in the trust at the minute is while we're writing this booklet for this prison, obviously. I need to write it because I need to write it because it's it's based on my experience, based on experiences of lads leaving the military and coming out. Now, I passed it to um, the community development manager, Fiki, and she literally looked at it and went, 
Craig, what is this? And I was like, oh, I've wrote it. And it's in the military, we have our own language. We speak differently. We speak in a lingo. We speak in stupid ways. And and we, obviously, everything's short and like everything's done at a thousand miles an hour in the military. So your language is at a thousand miles per hour. And you could sit four veterans in this room and you probably won't even understand what we're saying. But I literally wrote it as if I was in a conversation on this book and the whole thing literally had to be changed. Not the content, but the way everything was worded had to be put into a um, a civilian context. Which is weird because you're actually going to give it to ex-military people. Yeah, yeah, but that's we're, we're trying to break that chain and that's why it needs to be like that. Of course it does. It's, 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 uh, so even I'm still learning and I've been out for a, for a good few years now. Mm. Uh, so just give me um, a bit of a taste of you know what it is like when you land in a place like Afghanistan because that can't be like anything else that you've ever experienced so it's like I'd say it's like I like to say the shock of capture but obviously no one probably uh, really had the shock of capture so it's like have, have you had the shock of capture? I've never been captured no but like you you, you obviously train for stuff like that and there's times where you're like, you like you don't want to do something so the only way I could describe it is imagine walking out your front door now and being told walk to walk to the AJ Bell Stadium mm-hmm. you can't imagine doing it or you can imagine it taking a very long time that's what Afghan was you couldn't imagine it like the feeling you couldn't imagine it what was it like with you and your mates uh, did you fly out of Bryce? so we flew out of Bryce, um so we flew from um, we, flew, we, we weirdly flew from um, Belfast International it is Belfast International Airport. Belfast International Airport to Bryce Norton because we were based in Ireland. Okay. At this point, it's important to say that you were with the rifles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then from Bryce, we had a quick stop in Egypt for like two or three hours. We seen the pyramids from the plane and we actually stood at the door <laughs> for some fresh air. And then we sort of like, then you take like, so then you fly into Kandahar. Um, we had delays between Egypt and Kandahar, which meant that we couldn't fly straight onto Bastion. You land in Kandahar and like, didn't have a shock and all then really like and like other than the casualty thing at the start I woke up and like, we got put in these like tents on the side of the airfield and then there was like um, there was no one there you got told that if you were a siren put your body armour on didn't really sort of realise the next day I literally went up and I got up and we got told yeah go for breakfast I walked in this place and there was like loads of Canadian American soldiers and they're eating steak and drinking Fanta and I was like this is what was like. This is like I'm down with this. It's just like being in Mali with the boys, um, and that's pretty much what I thought originally. And then that afternoon, we went for a coffee at Tim Hortons, middle of a battlefield, having coffee in Tim Hortons. It was the most surreal thing. And obviously, like Kandahar province, like Kandahar and the areas around it, were having its problems. But it was nothing on the scale of what we were about to go to. So we left there, went to Bastion. When we landed in Bastion, the first sight of seeing was these special forces operators coming off a helicopter. Um, and they were just, they just looked drained. I've never seen guys like it. They all look like, wow. they all look like they, they, they not it, and like they literally had like blood on them. They were, you could see they were just dragging the kit. They weren't even carrying. It. They were dragging it across the floor, and I was like, that's, it's heavy that. Like, um, and then I'm like fresh face. Like I've got a, pic, I've got, I have a picture where I'm, I'm pretty fresh face. I've shaved my head. It's like, like you're not gonna get an haircut now. And then you flash forward three three months, and I'm skinny, and I've got long hair, and you can see like lives look like it's drained out of me and, and stuff. So that's sort of like the first sort of day. And then you go into sort of some briefs, and the briefs are valid. Don't get me wrong, the briefs are valid, and they, they are they are very good, and uh, and uh, and that. But for example, like the war at that point was changing every single day. 
And we were told like things like right anything below a seven on your on your metal detector, for example, was not an IED. Anything lab, below seven. Yeah, anything below a seven. So just tell me a little bit about how that. Sorry, not sorry, interrupt. Tell me a little bit about how that works. Then you've got so a metal you, have a va- you have a metal detector, a guy at the front who's called a Fallon man, and then you'd have a cover man, which I was, who's the guy at second. Uh, his job is basically his sole job is his weapons over his shoulder. His sole job is just look at that floor and that metal detector and wait for something to beep or go bang. As horrible as that sounds, that's pretty much And then everybody it. stops. Then he gets a BP, goes down onto his belt buckle, so he lies down flat, crawls up to the thing that's just global toned. I go up on my knee, so I'm on one knee between his legs as he's covered, just in case the Taliban take a quick snipe. Um, and he's confirming with his hands, so he's pulling back the sand to see whether there's a bomb under there while I'm covering him. Um, and then if it is one, we mark it, go around it, or we wait for EOD, probably mark it and go around it. Um, just for obviously your aim's to win a war it's not to clean up after people so you do that and um, we at the start of the war no ID in Afghanistan had gone off that's below a 7 tone out of 14 tones a 7 was the lowest anyone had registered our first lad killed was killed of a, of a 2 tone um, we had to adjust we knew they were there we just adjusted oh, basically we had a very good um, platoon sergeant um, who who he was like on his ninth tour and he was like look like I get what they say, like, but don't listen to them. Like, they, they, they're going off things that happened six months ago. At war, six six months in a, in a, in a war list, that's moving this quick. It's like two lifetimes. So, so if you're going from like point A to point B, you must be stopping every three, four, four, four at minutes. At one point, right? we, I um, I have a picture which is currently in character at the minute on my side from some reason, and um, where there's in the picture we're fighting. Uh, we're crawling up on a place with 14 IEDs marked around us and we're just moving in and out like it so some days it was <laughs> some days it was good some days it wasn't like it is what it is though like so what so they must have been going back and then planting more IEDs where so they what they would do is they would wait till one went off and then they knew you had in war someone dies it's classed as a murder so they have to send a team to investigate it oh so what they do is when they send that team in is in the actual crater that's been created by that blast. They'll plant another ID inside that crater in aim to get the other guy coming in. So in the end, we just had to change everything about it. But the biggest thing was if sometimes, it's horrible to say, but IDs in Afghanistan were only taking legs or lives. They weren't hit, like they weren't not doing anything else. So they had to come up with a better idea. So they'd stick them in walls at head height or stuff. So what was just checking the floor, you were now checking the walls. So the movement became 100 metres every 10 minutes to 100 metres every hour. Oh, my God. Um, so what happened then was pretty much your your sort of area of operation just shrunk. Yeah. Shrunk, and the Taliban sort of pretty much cut us off. And at one point, we were we were cut off with what was what was like, probably we had enough ammunition to last us 15 minutes if the Taliban gave us a good scrap. Like, um, it is what it is. Like, go back to, like, you want it at the highest calibre. Like, you want to be cut off and you want to be surrounded because, like, I'm not paid to lose. I weren't paid to lose. Like, and... That's one thing, like, sort of moving forward, I've always said, like, my ability to win, like, me and you are walking to a coffee machine, like, I'm going to beat you to it, like, <laughs> that's my mentality, and that was what it was then, as it is now. Crikey. You, you, you said that at the end of it, you started uh, to, started to lose weight. I mean, is that just from, like, a calorie deficit, or is that stress? We were or? probably hitting about one meal a day in Afghan. Some days we didn't eat, some days we did. Uh, well, probably about one meal, about a thousand calories, probably a meal. A thousand calories yeah, a day, yeah, yeah. and I get stressed if I... If I miss breakfast, don't be wrong. I eat loads now. Like me and Vicky and that, we'll all go to like your sushi about a billion times a week. Like we'll eat, we'll eat loads now. But that's probably why I do. 
That's that's unbelievable. Had, one of the biggest issues we had was DMV would come around probably every five six days. Okay, and then that, uh, diarrhea vomiting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You won't be able to get rid of that. Like Afghans are just a dirty country. Like you've not got showers, so you can't shower. You you're baby wiping at best. Um, you drinking water that's been found in a well, and you just put purifying it. And at times the Taliban would throw stuff in the well, so you couldn't so you couldn't drink that water. Uh, and then you're not eating. And if you, like, it's not like you go and shoot a local cow, like, you've got to pay him for it. Um, but the weirdest thing about Afghan is, in all that, you could give it, a, you could give a local villager 10 US dollars and it'd bring you back a crate of Coca-Cola. It's the weirdest thing ever, like. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you sort of, like, you're not eating. Um, all that's going on. DMV would come around quite regularly. Um, so how, I mean... I mean, our nourishment that... was a, probably the biggest problem we faced over in ourselves. Over I can't in the believe anime. that. Yeah, it's not the army's fault, though. Like that's what a lot of people blame the army. It's not their fault. Like it's just the reality. It's of the just situation. the reality of war. War, war is hell, and it's meant to be. Like, but you train for that. You know what hunger is before you go out there. And don't be wrong. Like, do, do you, you train think... for that? I mean, have, did you ever train like a thousand calories a day for? No, so period? you train on like based on ration packs. Um, but no, you can't predict what war is like. But you try and recreate that stress back home and. And I think that's probably the big thing is when you're back home and you're trying to recreate that stress, you don't know hunger until you lay in a ditch in Afghanistan surrounded by the enemy and all of a sudden your belly rumbles. It's well weird. But it's um but you can't train for that. But what you can train is to be fatigued like that. Yeah. Like and you'll just go like you'll go days without sleep training for it. Like I slept more like I slept more in the opening days of the of my war in Afghan than I did in the pre deployment training, but I needed that because I knew what tired was. I knew what hunger was. I knew what my body was showing. I knew I knew my body's limit. Like, and the biggest thing about Afghan was it tested every angle of my limit, and I knew where my limit were. That's so. How frequently were you fighting a war, either ill, DMV, DMV, or um, just? I mean, was it like every six? Well, he said like every lads, six days. I guess. I remember. I remember lads walking out the gate, throwing up minutes before they went out the gate to fight. Like. Um, and don't be wrong if they were D, if they if they were proper like DMV man down like then they're not going out on the ground but soldiers have pride which your brothers like are fighting like so you don't want to sort of let them down like for my my biggest fear would be being in a tent poorly just because I'm throwing up a little bit and and for you that would be worse thinking that you're in that tent than not yeah than like not if, if my bro if my brother was killed while he was he was out if my brother was killed while he was out on a tracker and I'm laying a tent throwing up like never be I wouldn't be able to live with myself with that I'd rather be throwing up uh, <laughs> I'd be rather be throwing up than sort of mm. that like did did it give you an appreciation for you know the other trades in in the army like do you know when we were, like, were saying <laughs> no like, like you become to hate them a bit more really so like like yeah, she's they'll look at you smugly when you come back so like we before we went on to Panthers Claw we we closed one we closed one fob down, which is dead weird. It was a sort of funny story, though. Like when we so closed fob is forward operating base. Yeah, yeah. So when we shut this place called Forward Operating Base Gibraltar down, the lad who lived across the road from me growing up got injured in that forward operating base. So it was I was growing up with this lad, and he got hit in Afghan a year, and then a year later I was shutting that place down. So it's dead weird. I've got a picture of me in the tent where he got where he got hit, like. So it's sort of surreal, like, and we talk. We we don't talk about it. We talk about it a little bit. We 
but we just acknowledged each other's fight like and it's sort of it's quite brazen like the guy's come onto the Sharks Forces project recently and he's now like progressed on he's out and stuff like that and he's progressed on he's came he's came on the Sharks Forces project he's come to a few events and stuff and he doesn't talk about it I don't talk about it we just acknowledge each other with a little smile you just know yeah we don't need to speak about that so sort of when you come when we go back to that support arms thing is you come you, you, you come back into Bastion and we came back for the we shut the jib down we went and we were about to go into Sangin um, and we had three days and we came off the helicopter and the first guy we, we basically rushed back to our tent had our weapons took off us so, and told like you've got three days like chill out like you've earned it we've just been fighting for, you've earned your three um, days and what do you do on your three days um, we rushed to Pete's hut and <laughs> got told to go back to our tents and get changed by a supporting arm sergeant major who said you're too dirty and you have not shaved and one of our lads went you realise, like, literally, like, two days ago, like, my, my platoon commander was killed. Like, I've literally just come in. I'm on a quick turnaround and back out in three days. Pete's Pete shuts in half an hour. And he went, and his words literally were, I don't care. Oh, and my so word. So, then you obviously instantly get angry. You've got military police doing people for speeding in Bastion. Like, bearing in mind, there's a war going on outside that gate. And they just don't take that appreciation, which is sort of funny. So, I've just said recently, like, I've never put all that going on. 9,000 soldiers every six months cycle through Afghan. 1,500 probably see the front line. 200 probably see the enemy. I've never met a guy who's never fired his weapon in Afghan, which is which is sort of strange. So them support arms, like, they all want to be you. Like, and Because that, obviously that's why they're all still talking about how they fired their weapon. But really, the majority of them just did people for speeding tickets and uniform issues in Bastion and didn't do nothing. So as you can see, the pain's still there <laughs> really bad. But, I mean, it does, it does sort of highlight something. I mean, like... You know, you were sort of saying then, um, you know, there are different levels of, of military, what you're doing and then the supporting arms. But then I guess it's exactly the same problems when you when you land here because you know, I could be talking to you, you're just normal bloke, you're down, down the river club. I have no idea what you've been through and therefore I can't really... See, I can't see, really personally for me, I like that. that. So I, one of the biggest kicks I get probably is I like the fact that I can walk in a coffee shop and no one knows my story. I yeah. don't the wrong is. Uh, the more attention it's getting, it's getting, it is getting sort of harder. Certainly around sort of the rugby dominated areas. Yeah, but I, t- I find a peace in the fact that not everyone knows that. Like, I don't want to be seen as oh, that's that guy who's done that or that. And I only want to be known for that if it's helping someone. Yeah, and that's. But I guess, I guess my point would be on that is, it's in the same way that a supporting arms sergeant wasn't able to empathise with what you've been through and therefore was, frankly, a bit of a dick. Yeah. I mean, you must come out and think everyone's a bit of a dick because just they don't have any idea. Yeah, and you're fine when you, like... So a lot of the veterans we deal with on, like, Shark's Forces are fighting men. Like, they tend to be the sort of the, the lads who have been away in fought, whether that be from Falklands or Kosovo or Bosnia or the first Gulf, Iraq or Afghan. And you'll find the issues they have, the issues they face are... Like my incident in Afghanistan where we were told we were, we were not clean enough and we not shaved. That's what, and they come out and like, oh, he's a bit of an idiot or, or whatever. The issues them lads are facing is that exact issue just on the outside. Is No one emphasises with what they've done. And I've always said what we try and get into the soldiers, yeah, you've been to war, but on, ultimately on the outside, the appreciation's not there and they need to they need to realise that. And yeah. I mean, maybe it is if they knew, but... People don't want to say, "Hey, I am, you know, I I am this." Or so if am you that. take Northern Ireland for example, so you take Northern Ireland and the Metropolitan Police. When Northern Ireland was going on, eighty-five percent of the Metropolitan Police were were 
Northern Ireland veterans because Northern Ireland taught soldiers a lot. It taught them how to be diligent. It taught them respect. It taught them like you can't judge every single person. It taught them a lot. Metropolitan Police now has 22% ex-Iraq and Afghan veterans. So that's a massive drop. The reason that's dropped there is gone are the days now where we're doing operations like Northern Ireland. If you'd sent, if something gets off in Ireland now, you'd have real big problems because the lads now are not trained like that. They're not trained. They're trained to be aggressors, not peaceful soldiers. I understand. So that's filtering down a lot into sort of employment. So you take that as an example. A lot of employment lads don't want Iraq and Afghanistan. So what we what we're doing now, Sharks Forces wise, is we're drop. We're telling them to. To change the way the army are telling them to do their CVs, and that's the army will tell you, put your operations on there, put this on there, put how you've commanded men. Do in the not do that. And I just say no, don't do that. Like if you manage blokes, you change it from. I led a section into battle, which was generally what I had on someone's CV. Do you think to, I manage men? Do you think there's an element of society changing though? Like society getting. I'm not going to say softer. That isn't what I mean. But that's you know, they value different. They value different things. I think. Tough question. I wouldn't say it's softer. I'd say they're just not. Even though we've got things like social media and stuff like that, I think the world's just very desensitized to what people are doing, mm. and people don't appreciate that sacrifice probably as much. And I think that's probably where more problems are coming. Like certainly we're finding through the project, there seems to be a lot more. Even in the space of a year, you could get four new people, and then four new people have the most complex issues ever, and it's because. They've just not. They just don't feel accepted by society anymore. They just feel like don't be wrong. I sometimes feel like that. Like it's just that's just the, that's just the, the the way things are now. Yeah, it must be completely alien. Um. So you said you were in over two hundred firefights. Yeah. So we like that, that. That's not like all massive firefights. Some of them are just like some of them are just like a little fighter popping his head around the corner, whacking a little spray of. <laughs> Bullets at you, now, running off. A good friend of mine uh, is fireman, and he just says like, uh, "There's no like telltale signs of something going on, but he just feels that there might be something that there might be something wrong with the situation. He can sort of like feel the heat in the air, or there's just yeah. something. Did was there anything which could kind of set off that sixth sense of yeah, like, something's going to go off? Yeah, certainly. Sort of. I never believed fight like like fighting men when they used to say, "Oh, you'll, you'll know when someone's about to kick off." I remember. A firefight where we're walking through this field, um, Poppy's literally taller than me. Um, and all of a sudden, like, it's like the world just became calm. Like, everything slowed down. I swear, like, even when I think back to it now, it's like the Poppy's even started swaying in the wind slower. And it was like the next thing I knew, the, it, the, it was the Afghan national soldier that was in front of me, was the weirdest change. He went from carrying his weapon over his shoulder to all of a sudden he had it, it holding it properly. And I was like, how did he, like, my instinct was like, how did he know? And he took two more steps and the whole world erupted around us. And they were in the same field, the Taliban were in the same field as us. Crikey. And it, but at that moment, it was like you sensed the world slow down and, and it comes. So if you take that into a sort of a civilian context, when I came, uh, when I got out of hospital, I went to a petrol station once at like 2 a.m., pulled onto the petrol station floor and it was these, there was two cars, one on the side and one behind me, packed with lads. And like, not that I fear any. I don't fear anyone. Like, and obviously, I've just come back from Afghan. Like, I'm definitely not going to fear some lads in a car. He let on to me as I pulled down, got out of my car, um, and I went to start filling up, and I just made eye contact with one of them, 
And he didn't look at me, he smiled, like he just sort of like let on, like acknowledged me. And so it just didn't feel right. And I sort of like, so I just put the petrol can on, got on, drove off. As I got to the bottom of the road, police are flying past me. So naturally you just turn around, don't you? Oh, what the police there, like curious. They just held up. They were currently holding up the petrol station. Oh my God. The where, guy uh, hit the button. Where was that? Um, it was on the parkway. Um, a principal? Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like just that, like, so that does go into certain elements. But then with the injury sort of, I have like sort of a brain injury wise, it can all be overwhelming. Like you could have a, com- you, you could be having a conversation with someone and I'd not even hear my name. And naturally I'd think you're talking about me, like in a bad way. And it's, yeah. so it does get, it's a broad spectrum, but certainly in the battlefield, like there is something there. And, and uh, when I talk to police, fire brigade, they all seem to have sort of the, the same thing. And when you talk to the veterans on the program there, they still rate, they have it like, and I suppose though, you do know when, you know. Like, yeah, like, it must be like ch- tiny little changes to your environment or something which you can't really describe, but you can register it. Yeah. Um, th- so, you finally get in, uh, you finally get injured uh, after, well, a, a lot of act, you know, a, a lot of active service. Um, do you remember the morning? Do you remember the morning before you went went on patrol? Um, oh, sorry, I say patrol. I don't even know. Were, were you on patrol or you? Yeah, what were you so doing? we were we were going out to take um, a cluster of compounds. So we were going out on a fighting patrol, um, told to hunt the hunt the enemy and, and obviously remove the enemy. Um, it's what it is. And but yeah, I remember. I probably more remember the night. It was probably I'd gone like four days without sleeping properly and like sporadic sleep. I was tired, never been that tired in my life. Um, I had like, I was low energy and sort of, it was like the, the only way to describe it is like the calm before the storm. Like, I slept that night and that was the weirdest thing. Like, and we slept in a compound that we had taken over, 100% surrounded by the enemy. We knew they were like, sitting in the bushes sleeping too. It was a case of we were going to wake up that wow. morning, they were going to be in one area, so, we were going to be in the other. I mean, just give me an idea of the, pro- of like, the proximity. Of the enemy, and it's almost like okay, I'm going to sleep now. You're going to sleep now, and let's get up in an hour. And uh, there's a gentleman's agreement that went out in that summer, and that was in midday heat. We won't fight each other. We we're <laughs> we're British, like we're used to rain. Like we yeah. ain't going to be able to fight in midday Afghan heat in the summer. So, and the Taliban don't tend to fight in that because they can't hack it either. So you'd literally you'd get to like one two a.m. to uh, one two p.m. and the world would just fall silent, and everyone would just go to bed. What did you think of the Afghans? I mean, you you obviously fought alongside them, and I guess against Afghan them. Afghan National Army, the loosest people I've ever met, the most dangerous people I've ever met. Would I work with them again? No. Would I have an issue with working them in a normal job? Yeah. Not because I'm racist, <laughs> just because I know the type of people that they are. And they are badly cultured. Like, the soldiers are very badly cultured. So, like, how much reliance did you have on, the, on, on these people to look after you? Or you look after them? How, just give me the idea um, of the dynamic. My situation on that is different. Um, okay. Why it's different, why my views are, uh, are because of an incident which will probably come out over the next couple of months um, in terms of, like, that'll be published in the next couple of months. Um, so I probably am the wrong person to ask on the Afghan sure. side. Um, only because, due to a personal circumstance, I believe that they're the most evilest people on earth. Don't, that's not all Afghan people. The Afghan locals offered us tea and we're the nicest people on earth. Afghan interpreter helped save my uh, friend's life. Like that's them. Afghan national army won't trust him as far as I could throw him. To the point where we had an active plan that if they were to turn on us, we'd be able to escape. We had a wow. plan drawn out in the same building that they lived in. 
because that's how loose they were. So that's really interesting. So how many Afghan National Army would you be working with and how and how many of you um, would there be? On the peak of Panthers Claw, we probably had a company, so maybe between like 80, 90 of them, um, 34 of them were killed. Um, yeah, 34 of them were killed. 34 National... Nas- um, sorry, 34 Afghans? Yeah, yeah. Um, just for stupid stuff, though, they'd walk out in the middle of a firefighter without putting their head down. They'd stand up when things are... Step on IEDs in stupid places that you could clearly see were IEDs. So, just tell me out here: the, was the idea for you guys to train train them up? With the no, extra they bodies? were teams that did train. They were the teams that did train them. Our job was just to. It was going to come a point, and there is a point where the British were just going to step away from the war, and the Afghans would have to lead the fight. And you can't do that overnight. The Afghans and the, like the Taliban were the most hardest people in the world. Yeah, like they've been fighting since before I was even born. Um, and they'd happily stand on the roof and leave notes around saying that the things they were going to do to you, they were the hardest. But honestly, I've never met a guy who was as hard as a Taliban fighter. We captured some once, and they literally just looked at us dead in the eyes, and, was, and in perfect English just went, there's nothing you can do to me that will make me fear you. Like, And, I, and did it, you believe them? Yeah, yeah. Stone Cold looked at me in the eye and was like, nothing you can do I can make me fear you. And I was like, yeah, this guy's not scared. Can't win oh. against an enemy that will run at you to die rather than put down his weapon. Like, and so you can't win against that. Um, so the Afghan army, they knew that they couldn't win against them. A lot of the Afghan army were ex-Taliban fighters. Um, so we had a lad who he was actually probably an all right one. I, I got him like right well, like, and he had um, a tally chart on his arm from Russians he'd killed in in, in the eighties. Crikey, how old was he? Like in it's, 60 yeah. or something? So he was a Mujahideen fighter and then transferred across to the Afghan National Army when um, when the area became occupied. So, I mean, obviously the British troops must not like the Taliban very much. That's an understatement. You have issues with the Afghan National Army, but those the Afghan National Army and the Taliban must despise each other. Yeah. I mean, that must be the real blood. You've got to remember, but they have got also a lot of things in interest. And that's what people don't realise is the Taliban the Taliban have a lot of people, a lot of interests with the Afghan National Army. For example, they, they both like kids, don't they? Like abusing children is quite common in their culture. Well, not their culture, that's the wrong thing. But so it's like unwritten rules, like the yeah, Taliban will go out in the evening and the Afghan Army National Army would let it happen. Personally, us, we didn't like that. We, but you get, you're not here to mess with their culture. You're not here to mess with what they're doing. And was that widespread? Uh, well, f- certainly happened in our area, happened in other areas of other fighters. Um, some lads did, British lads did respect the Afghan National Army, not for that, but some lads actually had good bunches of Afghan National Army soldiers. But for me, which, no, we didn't. We had a bad bunch. But then at the same time, the Taliban would. Yeah, so you must be... On patrol, you must be with these soldiers, and you must have the most complex set of interactions because you don't know if they've got the shared interest. You don't know if they hate each other. I mean, you simply don't know. You don't know anything they're about the these most, people. They're unpredictable. They're, they're worse than the Manchester weather. They're that unpredictable. Wow! Like we weren't so obviously. If we had to to stay in the same compound, we weren't allowed to unarm, like unload our weapons because they were that unpredictable. Everywhere we went, we had to have a pistol on our shoulder, on our on our, on our waist. Like, 
to me, this is the point where I think a rational person would think this is unwinnable because if we are, if we do our job well here, and we step back and we leave it in the hands of these people, all, well, all of this, all this blood has been wasted. So, uh, so I was like, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On London Bridge, is it London Bridge Tower Bridge when the Afghan war ended? Um, and someone rang and was like, Yeah, just let you know the Afghan war ended. And uh, the area which we fought for was called Wishton, and he went and Wishton fell to the Taliban 24 hours after that. Must be crushing. Um, and Ellie instantly threw up on Tower Bridge there and then, like, and and even sort of just the fort, like, is like it's pretty minging, like, it's not, it's not a nice feeling, but. A lot of people back home would see it as a wasted thing. It's hard to do. It's a tough pill to swallow that. Like, like I, I lost 10 lads fighting for that town. And you lost 10, 10, 10 friends? 10 friends fighting for that town and, and stuff. And it's, 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 it's tough and it? it is what it is. But no one's seen what was actually going on in that country. No one's seen how we once had a firefight in, in a village and we cleared that village of Taliban. And there was kids and women who were coming out of there out of their compounds who had not been out of their compounds for two, three years because they had been under Afghan control, uh, Taliban control. So is it worth it? It's hard to say. Personally, I'd give my life so they could come out of that compound and live freely. Like, is that's, that's your job, innit? You're not here. I'm not bothered about people's opinions back home when that's going on. No, like no people, and that people must... can have their opinion. I'm not bothered about that. Again, and I guess that I mean, like I've got a lot of opinions on a lot of things. Um, I kind of wish I didn't know, uh, but you know that must be another thing, which is people are giving their opinions on conflicts, say, or and they just yeah, doesn't have a clue about what's re- what really is going how on. How can you give an opinion or if you've not been surrounded by the enemy? Like, exactly, that's my view. Like, I'd say walk a mile in a soldier's shoes in two thousand and nine. Fact is, you won't be able to walk a mile because we were moving at hundred miles a day, hundred meters a day, like. You won't be able to walk a mile and survive. That's absolutely incredible. So, where did the military career end? End for you? It was with you. Is with your injury? Yeah. So obviously, after I got hit, um, came through the recovery sort of process, the recovery sort of journey, and um, and I did try to fight back to sort of get back to fitness, and it was just weren't happening, and and it is what it is. Like I've always had the theory: as long as I can walk, I can run. Like. But it was it was very evident that like my body just weren't taking like back to being a soldier and there was other options. I got asked to go into the intelligence cell and 
I just couldn't sit in a, in a room smaller than this with no windows, like, constantly, like, it's not for Looking me. Looking at photos or what have you. Yeah, like, didn't need to see that, like, yeah, and then the option was to become a clerk. Now, in Northern Ireland, like, there's, like, one flight, two flights a night out of Man- to Manchester, and this clerk used to always mess my flights around, and I used to water batter him every day, like. <laughs> so I just thought to myself, I can't become a clerk. I can't have lads coming up to me wanting to batter me because I've messed the flight up. So that was that option, and basically... The army are obviously going to make loads of cuts and the biggest fear was that they could possibly, they, they wouldn't, but you never know that they'd cut a wounded soldier redundant, make a wounded soldier redundant. Um, so they basically said, well, medical retire, give you 75% of your salary for the rest of your life if you leave. And I was just like, well, I can't fight, so I don't want to be here. And that's pretty much how it ended. It ended on a car park in Preston and... A guy shook my hand and said, thanks for your service. And wow. said, took my ID card off me and it was done. Yeah. Crikey. Tell me about your injury. Tell me about uh, tell me about that incident. Um, so we just standard patrol. Just got hit. Uh, an ambush. Um, an ID. Bit of a firefight followed it. Um, I'd lost sort of like... Obviously, I'd, like, I'd been wounded at, the, at, at, at that sort of point. And then, obviously, from that point of, point of wounding, I was quite lucky. So, sort of... No, that's the wrong word. Looking at some aspects, but... So, like, I grew up, like, thinking Black Hawk helicopters were amazing and the Chinook wouldn't come in and land because of the type of injury I had and the complex of the area. So, the Black Hawk um, Pedros are called... Um, the nickname's Night Stalkers. Yeah. Um, they came in and, and got me and... It's like the ride of my life. Like, don't be wrong, I was blind at the time. I detached both my retinas and I'm flying <sighs> on this Black Hawk, but... Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I mean, I got to fly my helicopter what the whole time. I went to war so I could go on a Blackhawk. Like, that's the reality <laughs> of it. Um, and uh, so I got Blackhawked out and pretty much, obviously, I went straight, straight into, well, I think, I don't know. Um, it was sceptical few days and then I ended up back in England and sort of woke up in a hospital and I always joke and Selly Hospital was like a reunion. Like, we'd had that many casualties. Like, oh, my word. It was like just seeing my mates again. Yeah, uh, and... It was weird, don't be wrong. Like it, it, it was very weird. But one of the probably the pro- more prominent memory sort of I have of that is being in this room in Sellyoak Hospital, um, and there's some woman approaching the door, and I remember looking at her, thinking she's fitter, like, um, and it was my mate's mum, which is awkward. Um, <laughs> and she came in and basically was like, "Is that is that is that is that rifle with Monaghan?" And someone in the room was like, "Yeah, it is." And I had dealt with a casualty a couple of weeks before being wounded, and. Um, he'd lost his leg he was bleeding quite heavily I dealt with him and I could not hear from him I didn't know the situation or anything and his mum would come and she just came in and gave me a hug and sort of thanked me and was like it worked for you like my son won't be here now and, and stuff so that was sort of probably a nice memory I mean Cadbury's world was just around the corner and they sort of like give us three days out all the time now our soldiers are not the most mature people in the world so you send a bunch of us who were wounded <laughs> and thinking the world alters everything to Cadbury's world like we're going to fuck it up and that's pretty much what we did now Cadbury's have got a lot of military tradition in them have they not yeah so the son of the owner that's right yeah so, so I've I... met him several times it was weird I was at a ball with him and he was like no I, I own Cadbury's and I was like no you don't mate <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure right I'm pretty sure Cadbury's have a trust and in order to gain the Gain access to the money in the trust. You've got to. You've got to serve in the army. I'm sure that is the case. 
That's interesting. But I'll look that up. I'm, I'm absolutely I'm sure. I'm going to look that up. Like, we've got a force programme to fund here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I've, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, when you got hurt, had you, had you been hurt before? Um, no, not like that, no. So did you know immediately this is more serious? Was that instantly like, oh, oh shit? Laying a ditch bleeding, yeah, I knew it was, I knew it was bad, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was bad. And like, do you, is, you know, is, 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 there, is there like, is there like a pain? Is there a panic? Is it acceptance? You know, what What is it that you're feeling? So I was, I had my birthday coming up and I used to joke that, I didn't joke, no, that's the wrong thing. Everyone used to joke that I was going to get hit on my birthday. It's like a thing. Like, it was inevitable. <laughs> I'd been involved in a lot of incidents. It was going to happen. It was definitely going to happen. My ears had been ringing for days, so I knew I was going to end up deaf anyway. It was... Um, it was... It's hard to explain. Did I know it was going to happen? Subconsciously, yeah. Did I want it to happen at... I mean, I was pretty hungry, so, I mean, got me fed, didn't it, like, getting sent yeah. home. Um, no, I wanted to see the war out, I wanted to return to Afghan. I wanted to bow in and bow out, I didn't want to get injured. Did I want to, like, these, no, I, I didn't want to get injured. I wanted to see the war out like a fighting man. Yeah. Certainly wanted to, if I were... In a way, it's sort of sometimes it's easier to it's easier to to die at war than it is to come home injured. I can I can I can imagine I can imagine. Uh, and uh, tell me what are the effects of of your of, of your injury? What what are the long last what's the long lasting legacy of this? Um, so what like if I have like some le- so anytime you'll see a photo of me, it's pretty much always taken from the right side. So my left arm's like slightly skinnier than my right. Um, I have like some less usage in my left arm and stuff. Good job I'm not left-handed, otherwise it could be an issue. Yeah. Um. Um. Deafened and I had a trauma brain injury, a bit of bit of an issue with my brain and stuff. Yeah. So they were probably the, they're the main injuries that were like like that still bother me now. Mm-hmm. But then the biggest one, which is pretty much why we thought of the 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 the, the, the a trust program that's like called Balls to That, and it's because the trauma of that. Not that day. That day was traumatic, but so was the 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 other hundred odd days before it. Yeah. Um. So the trauma of that caused mental, a lot of mental health issues. Um. I wouldn't say mental health issues. Do you? It left a lot of guilt. Why? Why guilt? Because I survived, and that's the bottom line. Um. Someone described it to me the other day. It's like, it's almost easy. Like, for me, if I was to walk in here and was like, oh yeah, I got injured at war. You'd be like, oh right. You'd look me up and down. Like, this is naturally what you do. Um, and that's, just make you feel bad. Like, but, if you came in here and was like, oh, I lost someone at war. Like, it's more understandable. Yeah. Being wounded isn't understandable. Especially being wounded in the way I was. It's not, not that understandable. So you feel guilt for that. Afghan weren't an easy place, like, war was glorified to me in my head, and it weren't what I thought it was, it was hard and what I thought it was, it 
weren't as cool as what I thought it was and that played on me a lot um, and certainly that's one thing we sort of talk about in like having a trauma based mental health issue was like half being reborn again mm. like I had to learn everything again like I had to learn how to be a person again I had to learn how to talk to people again I had to learn how to you, find who I was. Were you aware that you were acting strange, strangely? No, I thought everyone else had a problem. I openly, like, and that's one thing we say, and that's what we based the whole project around is I felt every single person had a problem, and reality was I was the problem. And I thought everyone rolled around with a chip on a folder, but it was me. And I expected people to just understand. Um, uh, and how was this first brought to your attention? Who was it that got hold of you and said, Craig, you know, this this is you. It's not everyone so, else. So, the first time someone told me I had an issue, I'd come back from New York. I'd been in New York for five days, I'd blew, best part, well, I'd blew probably over £12,000 in five days and I came back and it was like an inter- like not an intervention. I basically had to sign control with right. funds hang, across. Hang on a second, hang on a second. What did you spend twelve thousand pounds on? That's why I definitely know. can't go on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spent twelve thousand pounds just living my best life, um, and I came back and it weren't like an intervention, but they're like, "You've got a problem. You're self sabotaging yourself." Like, don't be wrong. They took all of my finances, invested in property, and looked after it. Like, put put something like a ten year bond thing and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff like that, like an, uh, and uh, sorry, and who were who are they? Who who are the people people helping you at this point? Um, like friends and family, with friends or? at this. We'll just say yeah. yeah, friends. Yeah, so it was just friends. Like f- no family were there when I when I was wounded. They weren't no family. Really, that was it. Like it was no family, and but that that didn't bother me. Like it is what it is, isn't it? Uh, certainly. So that was the first instance where someone said a problem, and then I think I was like. Three suicide attempts deep, and someone asked me, "Am I okay?" And I went, "Do you know what, mate? No, I'm not." And I just unloaded um, heavily on this person, and the guy just listened. He didn't even say, "Look, mate, like, don't worry about it." The guy just just sound with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just looked after me. Like, he, I didn't need a hug or anything. Like, don't be wrong. Like, I struggled to hug my own child. Like, yeah, I'm, like emotions not for me. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. That's pretty much why all that is probably so popular and and stuff like that. And like one of the biggest things is like Balls that's talking about like the mental health aspects, and that's why we're doing that. You've probably seen that an evening sort of battlefield to the rugby field is talking about yeah. that journey of how to deal with the mental health through sport and stuff. And that's pretty much is is it is that I was three suicide attempts deep and. I made a choice. I can let this kill me, and it was going to kill me. Like I might have had skill fade on the whole kill, trying to kill myself thing, but that's only because I was found. Like, so, oh, so one of the things which strikes me talking to you, despite everything that you've been through, you know, um, what happened in, in in the army, the amount of firefights, the amount of friends that you've lost, you do still seem to love the army. You know, you see, there's, there's a, a certain fondness that sort of com- comes through. Was it? Is what you went through in in the army what you've come, what you struggled to come to terms with, or was it the actual leaving of the army which made you struggle? 
So, I'm still fond of the army because the army did nothing wrong. Yeah. These, a lot of people barking at the minute. I say barking is because it's not true. And the army don't abandon people, like, and that's the moral of it. And it's something I get asked regular. The army didn't abandon me. I'm financially secure because of the army. I've got the values I've got because of the army. We've built a project because of the army. I'm a fond of the army. Yeah, the army fed me. Oh, it's good enough to take the pound. It's good enough for me now, like... Um, yeah, I'm fond of the army. My brother's died for for I got injured doing it, so yeah, I'm fond of it. The system getting out, could it be better? Yeah. But could you be better at your job? You probably could. So mm. everyone can always get better. The army could get better. you got to think, out of what... We took, based on 63 people, 10 dead, 26 injured. How do you look after them 26 who were getting out? Mm. You can't keep a tab on every single soldier. Some slip for the help. Ownership comes down to the soldier. That's why that's why Shark's Forces is there. Yeah. Is when you're ready for help, like we're there, we're gonna pick you up, we'll sort you out. Like that was the big thing, is it's not their fault. It's not the veterans' fault. System could be better, yeah, it could be. But that's that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you write about the criticism of the army, and I think particularly in the media, there's a lot of like, why are we not supporting uh, people new you know, transition and so on and so forth. What do you, I mean? What do you think it is that people miss from the army? Did, uh, because I don't think it's the skills. I think actually it might be more like the camaraderie and being around like-minded it people. Is. People always bang on like saying like, like literally what you just said. Like the army could help with transition. The army do help with transition. Yeah, Shark's Forces is funded by the army's charity. That's the army's money that are paying for me to do my job mm-hmm. to help soldiers. So that's that's paying for that bubble in theory because that's all we've done is we just lifted that army bubble. We just moved it into civilian street and we've created a military community on the outside. The difference is, you'll just go and sit in the, in the AJ Bell Stadium on a, on a weekend and you watch Shell Sharks play with what soldiers call normal people, civilians. You'll do that. We'll. That's pretty much what that funding is, has done. It's going into a prison. It's helping lads who are serving. It's giving that military community on the outside because that's what's missed. That's what I miss. Every day I wake up and I miss the boys. Like, yeah. it's a, It was a block party every weekend. Like It was... It's like, even in Afghan, the best times of my life were with lads in Afghan. Like, the best times of my civilian life were with light, well, lads at home. They're like, you look at my friend circle over and sort of like, Vicky, Jack, Georgie, like, who were normal. You look at Bowden, when I'm playing at Bowden, the lads I'm hanging around with from that club are the lads who are served, who were served. The lads I hang around with outside of the, the Jack, the Georgie, Vicky, are lads who were served. Like, yeah. We're like glue, and it doesn't matter what cat badge they are. Is you get each other like it's all right. Like and that's pretty much what is missed in the military. Mm-hmm. People miss people miss their friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, that's why the army takes so much stick. So I, I mean, I can almost. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's it's easy, but I almost imagine the easy part of the army is to say, "Here's some qualifications, and here's a course, and you know, hey, we'll, we, you know, we'll do whatever we can. We'll spend whatever we can." But actually what they can't recreate is exactly that. It's the exactly. So the army's contract is they're not allowed to leave you in a worse off than they found you. Yeah. And they don't... But what they can't do is they can't go for it. What we'll do is we'll give you the 12 lads you live in a flat with <laughs> yeah, and send them home with you. Like, you can't do that. Like, And what people do forget is, certainly in the national regiment, the big regiments, we're not local. We're spread from Newcastle all the way down to Exeter. Oh, of course, yeah. So... My section were 
spread. I was the closest lad I had lived to me was, I think it, it was like Sheffield. It was the closest lad, which is kind I've of. I've never even thought about that. So is that far spread? So you're going to lose that military connection, but then the ownership's on you to make friends. That's why rugby's there. That's why football's there. Like every single infantryman has played rugby at some point. Mm. So that's why we're going to build this sevens team. We're going to build this rugby team. We're going to get playing. We're going to get. We've got sharks forces. We've got. We've we've got this dog walking. We've got you name it. Like we've got it. And if we ain't got it, we're gonna build it. Like it, because we know it, we know the gaps there. I know it's missing. I miss it. It does it does me wonders having this job. Like I just get to hang around and drink coffee with lads who are served, and it's the most brutal banter in the world. But I'll take it. <laughs> like I'd take that over. I don't mean it in a disrespectful way. I'd take that over sitting and having coffee with normal people. Yeah, at least normal people. Some normal people get me like. Well, I, I I know that I'm enjoying this interview more than most, so yeah. you know it makes sense. Um, so for the lads leaving the forces, then how important do you think it is that you know you get re-established with another group of people? And actually, just linking that onto rugby, um, you know, were you playing rugby when you were in in, um, in the army? Was it like a passion of yours, or do you fall into it afterwards? <laughs> I played rugby so I could go home. <laughs> um, I played rugby in Explain the that to me. So at 16 years old I was in Harrogate And it was like An intercompany competition Coming up I'd been playing I'd been playing I'd been running cross country I was like A little whippersnapper Like quite quick Had good hamstrings I always joke about hamstrings I had good hamstrings um, And There was this rugby competition Coming up And I was like Never played rugby before Went to this guy um, His name was Rob Hurst He was like Team leader person And he was like yeah, come play rugby, you get a long weekend off. It's like, could do with going home. It's just been payday, like, the army loves spending money on payday. Could do with going home. Whole 660 quid, I was like, I'll go and blow that in Manchester on a weekend. Um, so I was like, don't know what to do. He goes, you're pretty quick. All you got to do is catch a ball and run. Like, and, yeah. and where was this game? Uh, in Harrogate. So, and, who, and who were you playing? Um, the other companies at Harrogate. So there's like, there's like four or five training companies. We'd all have different teams. And we'd trade, play against each other and... I sort of remember like two minutes into the first game, ball came out to a wing, I caught it, it ran the full length of the pitch, and I was like, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. I caught, so I've actually played the police w- once, and I actually played for the fire brigade, never been a fireman, F- um, FYI. Um, and they were they were brutally violent, and I just thought, like, this is this is a product of them having to go around, deal with deal with scumbags ev- every day, and now they're going to take it out on, um, on some firemen. What is the... <laughs> what what is the feel on it on, on in intercompany rugby? Because I imagine that's going to be a little bit. Lucky different. enough, we were all recruits, so we weren't even real soldiers by that point. So oh, this is just training yeah, company, so we were right? Just training okay, companies and we were just so it was just to like drop a shoulder on people. And to be fair, like I'm sure, like people will tell you now, like I don't make many tackles as it is now, so we definitely weren't going to make any tackles then. Um, so I sort of just, all I did was literally. My job was to finish, like, I literally, the lads would shout on the pitch, like, pass the ball to create, like, pass the ball, money, I was calling, pass the ball to money, let him run, and that's pretty much how it sort of started, which is sort of quite funny, you flash forward to now, and yeah. Vicky was, was at a game a couple of months ago, where everyone was shouting the same, pass the ball to Craig and he'll run, so I sort of, <laughs> I did something right, because I'm here now, and I sort of obviously kicked on from that, and that's pretty much how rugby began, obviously it stopped after Afghan, I was told, you won't play rugby again, and and then, but that then gave me uh, more meaning. I'm a soldier, like you tell me I can't, I'm going to show you I can, and that's just my mentality. Like I go back to that winning mentality. Like 
yeah. and that's pretty much where it kicked on. Now, I think at this point, uh, you know, before the interview, we had a, a little chat, and a name came up. I'd, I'd like you to just say a little, a little bit about this. Um, a guy called Dave Murray, who I've actually trained with. He's coached, well, he's helped coach uh, Didsbury Talk H. Just tell me about that, that connection. So yes, Dave Murray had served a long time in the military. Um, he had quite a vital role, um, quite an important role. I know he definitely don't like it being public, but he did have a very special role within the military. Obviously, his 37-year career. It's, it's, 37 years it's is respectable. quite a like, uh, His first war was like 80s or something, like... And, and then his last war was Afghan, so sort of gives that scope of how big it was. And he sort of approached me. Our paths have crossed in previous times. Obviously, he'd been heavily involved in naval rugby, and I'd been involved with army rugby. And our paths have crossed. And when he knew I was sort of on the scene, and I was sort of like looking for a club or whatnot, and um, I needed looking after, so to speak. Like, I don't me wrong. Like, I'm the type of guy I'll go to like a sort of England, like I'll go sort of to like an England left training camp or whatever. And, I'll stay up late on purpose, so I sleep in and try and miss getting down there, like and stuff. <laughs> so Dave Murray was aware of this. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that, right? Uh, this this sounds so stupid, but um, back in back in the day when I used to get very very excited about playing, I still do get excited about playing. I used to stay up really late on Fridays, so I'd sleep in on Saturdays, so I'd less time from waking up to playing rugby because otherwise I'd be too excited to excited to play rugby. Like, it's just stupid stuff. See, like I just that. I, see, I'd do it just so I didn't have to. Oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I get like quite like nervous. Um, not for games because I'm I'm who I was before I got injured. I was who I was before I got after I'm playing, and that's like no hidden thing. But one of the biggest things, sort of, I I had was that I was I was a ticking time bomb, so to speak. And Dave Murray identified that very early on, and was like, like come 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 to the, come come to, come to Clay Lane, and we'll look after you and and stuff. And and they have done like bearing in mind like. I'm a deaf person playing in an able-bodied team. Yeah. I'm a person with a brain injury playing in an able-bodied team. A person who was told you would never play rugby again playing in an able-bodied team. A person who's got a dodgy arm who drops his shoulder in quite regular. Whether that's late or not, that's a different story. <laughs> um, so I'm that person. And he identified all that. And he made sure that they, the club, I didn't change my way I played. The club mm-hmm. changed the way they played to adapt to me. So the calls became shorter so I could understand them that's amazing uh, he made sure the fullback passed the message on if I was out on the wing he made sure the 10 signed the message to me if I was at 9 and then that was sort of emulated when Byron and Josh took over Byron made it even more Im- easier uh, obviously like we we have a good relationship and he just made it more simpler for me uh, made it more simple for them called it things I'd know Named everything after a weapon, so it was easy. <laughs> and that was sort of he just adapted that. Um, obviously, was I'm not going to go into the exact calls because I, I I am actually taking notes here. Yeah, because we've got uh, Bowden preseason. Yeah, I've heard. Um, so I so that's pretty much. Well, good guy. Yeah, so Dave Murray took me under his wing, which was then sort of very closely replicated um, by Josh and Byron and. Byron's passion for it, which is always good. And then sort of on the England side, um, the England head coach is very heavily involved with the military and stuff, and and, and he just makes sure I'm looked after. Yeah, so we just need to touch on that a little bit more, I think, because uh, you sort of mentioned it, but we've not really told the listener exactly what, what you mean there. Um, it's not just Bowden that you play for. No. 
Isn't that so? Yeah. So I'm obviously very fortunate to sort of obviously represent my country with England death and and stuff. So I've sort of I've been involved in that setup now for 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 a couple of years, and that's just sort of growing. Um, started off as like the third choice, sort of nine, fourth choice, nine, not even getting game time to sort of being the sort of the first choice now, which is quite decent. And how often are you guys playing? Uh, we're getting quite a lot of fixtures. Um, we've got Wales coming up in April, um, which is which which is going to be good. Um, it's going to be busy. No one likes the Welsh anyway, so. <laughs> well, uh, well, in full disclosure, my only ever representative rugby game was for the Welsh deaf team. Uh, for one appearance because he didn't have enough players when I was 19. See? There you go. There we go. So, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's growing. The sport's growing. The funding's growing. The sponsorship's growing. Everything's just growing. And it's sort of, again, I've added, like, I've added value to that so, um, since I've sort of joined. Like, I've, I'm obviously aware we've just ended a war. Like, yeah. a lot of lads with hearing issues. It, um, is it a lot of military lads that are there? So, we've had an eight. Since I've pushed it in the military channels through, through Sharks Forces, through whatever I can get my hands on. Um, we've had an 80% increase in forces personnel, um, which is massive. Yeah, it um, really is. I guess it helps in multiple ways. It's not just helping the team, but actually... I just don't know. want it. I just, I just want soldiers around me. Like, so. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I just want to take it over and drink, drink with my mates. Like. Um, so what is the role Sail Sharks has in, in all this? I mean, how, how has it come to be the Sail Sharks forces? I know the army pays for some of it. Sail Sharks support it in some way. How does it all kind of mesh? Other than being pretty supportive of me. Um, <laughs> no, um, the serious side of it is that they identified a gap in the area. Yeah. No one was really... There was people doing stuff, but no one was doing it to a grand scale. Um, they seen that the military sport is, is rubber. Being the only Premiership team in the area, they seen that it was definitely sort of an advantage to them. And even though like City and United have dabbled in it, and people were bang on about other initiatives in the area, but no one's really doing it like we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And people, we came on with an idea that it'd be workshops, and we'll get people all singing and dancing. We then we came up with the idea we're going to be a community, and and that's pretty much what we have done, and that's where. The trust has, has banged on in terms of the numbers. It's helped. Um, we we don't we don't fabricate anything. Our numbers are legit. Like we we make sure that in order for us to bring the veteran into our circle, like it's you need to be trusted. So everyone else needs to trust you. So we're not going to not verify that you are a real veteran. The last thing we want is someone who's not a real veteran showing up. And and does it happen? Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it has happened. We've had other people try it, but it's harder because of it's hard because of who I am. Like, yeah. how do you come and fake being a soldier to the person who is me? Like, you can't. It's hard. Don't be wrong, but people have tried. But we 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 have a good verification process, um, and we have a good support network. So we won't throw you in a group. We'll meet you one to one off site or, or at Carrington. Um, we'll meet you there. We'll 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 chat to you. We'll 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 see where you're at. Where you're at. We'll see whether you're ready for a group. Don't be wrong, people tip up all the time to activities. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of the activities which we've got running. Um, obviously, the coffee afternoon on the Tuesday and then the two walking things um, on the Tuesday morning and the Thursday afternoon. We get them tipping up to that, that's, that's fine. But certainly if you need help, we a lot of people are not going to turn around in a circle of people or walking around a pond that, that they need help. So we'll, we'll, we sit that and, and we've been quite, we're, we're, we're quite lucky being who we are that we have got the links in the area. Um, say, 
There's a lot. There is other initiatives out there. We're banging the drum, but the difference is they're not towards us. We're taking over, and that's something we're, we are pretty proud of. We're we are banging our drum in the right way. And, we and is that is that sort of part of that military competitiveness? It's not. It's just the fact that we know what we're doing, and that's the that is the broadness. Like I'm sure if you asked any member of the trust, yeah, what we're doing, they'll tell you the same. We're doing it right. Um, that's not a pop at anyone in particular either. Like we're confident in what we're doing. Mm. Like we're going to go into a prison. We're going to. Yeah. yeah, tell me about that. That's amazing. How's that come about? Um, so, um, the community development manager, she's just sort of keen in absolutely everything. Um, community uh, development manager, who is? Um, Vicky Irwin. Vicky, who is actually yeah, sitting yeah. right in front of us right now. Yeah, so she's keen on everything. Obviously, she's been in a job a long time, starting with, like on the rugby side, doing disability stuff. So, obviously, she's got a lot of links. And yeah. a guy who used to work for Saracens okay. knows Vicky. They got chatting. Next thing we know, he was. He started working in a prison in Berwyn, Berwyn Prison. He's got a military wing, and it just made sense. Sorry, they've got a military wing. Sorry, just to be clear, a military wing is that for ex-servicemen who are locked up, or is that for the current servicemen locked so up? A lot of them have gone from military prison to civilian prison because so, they've got long serve. They've had long, um, so they've had long sentences. So that's a, sol- a soldier under sentence. Yeah, yeah. So and then the- they've gone, been discharged, and then sent to a transfer to a civilian prison. So if you do, is that is that for a civilian crime or an army crime? Can be either. Oh wow! So you do what a couple of years there, and then you go off. To, off yeah. To, so you do. I think you're only allowed to do a year, a year and a half in Colchester, and then you get sent to a civilian prison. Oof. And but ultimately, if you leave Colchester, you are getting discharged. So all these lads are waiting to come into the system. The majority will be relocating to the northwest or locating back to the northwest. And the conversations we went down, met him, spoke, went on this. Actually, went onto this wing. And it's the most bizarre thing ever. Like, it's what you expect a prison to be. The only thing is it's quite scary. Like, I wouldn't say I was, like, fearing for my life, but I was like, wow, this is an uncomfortable place. Like, Wow. These are like, like, I'm a hard man, but obviously prison, prison, prison they, are the, they are hard people, aren't they? Like, do you know what I mean? You've got to last in that environment. So we went in, uh, me and Vicky went in, had a meeting, and it was an amazing facility, uh, brand new prison. Um and when we went in, got chatting, we actually spoke to some of the prisoners on this wing. Lad who had served, who'd all had happened to him, he, like, he just, wrong place, wrong time sort of situation. I know everyone says that, but by the sounds of it, this guy really was just, and he's leaving with no qualifications, no transition really. Um, and that's where gonna, we basically built a 107-page booklet wow. on how to transition to Civilian Street. And we're going to take that in, work through it over 21 weeks. Um, working with him for 21 weeks, um, us working alongside the prison service, and after that 21 weeks, they'll get like a little certificate, a nice graduation day. The families will come in and see that they've achieved something in that 21 weeks, and they'll meet myself and and, and Vicky uh, and India, who are all sort of like based around this project, and and we'll hopefully they'll then kick on into civilian life with the transition, and we'll Shaq's forces will be there for them on the outside. Help them with housing if they need it. Help it with the benefits if they need it. Help them get a job if they get, if they need it. Um, help with the mental health if they need it. What do you think the biggest misconception is of veterans from from the public, if if, if indeed there is one? We're all, we're all raging killers. Like, well, that's the biggest thing. Everyone thinks that every one of us have fought, and everyone thinks that every one of us have killed someone. And that's could be further from the truth. You think not that many people have actually fought the enemy. Yeah, and there's a billion different jobs in the military. Um, and that's probably the biggest conception Con- uh, yeah and for the lads coming out then we sort uh, we sort of t- we sort of touched on it you know being away from your mates and the institution of the military um 
like, what other things do you find most helps with them? Like on like on just practical levels. I'm sure, Vicky would probably say we the biggest thing we have is underselling ourselves. Like I don't bang on about my achievements. I don't bang on about who I am, or I don't bang on about anything really. If anything, I don't actually accept what I've done or what I've achieved or anything. And that's the biggest thing. A soldier won't sell himself to a job. He doesn't know how to apply for a job. And he's only army. It's not like an interview. Like, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? It's what have you got? Let's go. Yeah. And it's just changing that attitude to a civilian attitude. And we don't we don't have all the answers at Sharks Forces. We've got the majority of them. And if we ain't, we're working with partners who have got all the answers. So tell me about your partners. Who who, who so we've been working with? over the past? Obviously, the army's charity, so the soldiers' charity, um, or the Army Benevolent Fund is known more publicly. Um, they're one of the biggest partners. Um, walking with wounded helped us. British Legion have helped us in the past. Um, things like housing wise, um, obviously, walking with wounded being biggest houses, that old housing being big house, big housing place. Mawson, um, yeah, obviously, it helps that the owner of Mawson is co-owner of this club. Um, they're really keen with us. Um, just simple links. Prison services, obviously, with this new project. Really yeah, I mean, help. I can't imagine how important that is. Not even, not even so much for the individuals involved, but you know, more on a societal level. You want these guys coming out and doing something, which is the big thing. And that's probably where, that's probably where, like Vicky's coming. Um, she's obviously she's been involved in all levels of sport and all levels of the job mm. and I've only really got the army to sort of back me up at the army and rugby and a decent sport recovery story so to speak and uh, and sort of so that's that that sometimes I get annoyed at sometimes I get annoyed with the way the outside is towards veterans and then I get I get pulled aside and it's like nah, look, look, if we do it like this then this is how it all it'll unfold and so it's yeah. sort of nice that that's, that's probably just been a, a, a fight or sort of thing um because we're, we're all going to have challenges in what we do and a civilian has challenges the difference is to a civilian and a soldier is a soldier knows what he's doing with life and he knows how to win he just needs to put that into a civilian context yeah and that's where we what we will do the prison project will have its different challenges because obviously they're coming out with criminal records I mean that is that is a really yeah. really tough challenge it's going to be a great challenge though because if we can get this right two 21 week projects signed a book like an actual booklet a worksheet a full education 107 page booklet that's been written checked about a thousand times printed off about a thousand times and binned a thousand times <laughs> um it's probably been the hardest thing like it sounds stupid but writing a booklet has probably been my hardest challenge is actually getting the blueprint of my transition and veterans that we've dealt with say 83 veterans over the last 12 months their blueprints our blueprints where we've gone wrong collating it all and then going this is how we can do it for a prison so that's been a challenge on its own so to get this first 21 weeks out of the way from april onwards is going to be the biggest challenge and but i'm a soldier like i'm used to be i'm, I'm used to having the odds against me so yeah it's just, it's just another part of that journey and well, I is mean, there going to be failures? You, Probably there is. Do you know what I mean? You can't get it right for 20 people in one or 30 in one. Well, I mean, at least you're eating more than a 1,000 calories a day in this job. Exactly, and I get to go home every night, so yeah. that's, that's lucky. And I think the biggest thing about it all is we're aware of our failures. Like, any 
charity that says they've not got it wrong with a beneficiary of absolutely lying. Yeah. We openly go, we've got it wrong. Got it wrong with more than one veteran. But that's not because we don't know what we're doing. That's because sometimes it's about putting your hand up and going, we are, this person's too complex for us to, to, yeah. to fix, but this person can. We're not afraid to signpost. My view, which has now been, which has been emulated across the trust is, I don't care where the veteran gets the help as long as they get the help. And that's what Shark's Forces is about. It's about helping the veteran get from point A to point B, whether it's with us or with someone else. If you were to look ahead, say, three years' time, where would you expect this project to be? In every single prison in England. Where do we expect the project to be? In every single premiership club in England with the Sharks' brand on it. And, um, oh, sorry, every single premiership club in England with, 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 with we, brand well, on it. Obviously, they can't have sales Sharks' name. <laughs> yeah. That's obviously, but... Where we want it is we and want it rolled out, not just in not just in Premiership Rugby. Oh. We want it rolled out. Like, there's no reason we don't need Premiership Rugby clubs to do it. We yeah. can do it. The trust can do it itself. I mean, I guess. I mean, the, the rugby. Brand, the brand helps. Yeah, rugby obviously massively helps and so on and so forth. But I mean, I guess any grouping where you can attract people in who you know then can create a community. Well, we're in a prison in Wrexham. Yeah, there's prisons in Manchester. We're gonna. Uh, are you having any um, luck with 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 Premier Rugby or? Yeah, they're any... really good. Yeah, they've um, been been really good. Everyone's been quite helpful. Um, Wasps have asked us for help on their project, setting up one. Saracens have looked at it like we're banging the right drums. We're helping the right people. Are we bothered about what they're doing now? <laughs> Probably not. Like. Um, and just a word, another word on the partners. Who are you looking to work with outside outside of sports teams? Like, are you looking for anyone that wants to? Is it private business help us? or anything? Yeah, it doesn't have to be sport. A lot of a lot like people. We just hey, we need people who identify veterans in their workplace. Yeah, and if they've got them, we can come in and have a chat with them. Not saying they don't need to. They don't need to be struggling. Yeah, we had a veteran last year who didn't struggle at all until. He'd been working with us for like 12 weeks and then he's gone, oh wow, I actually have a bit of an issue here, I'm a bit isolated or whatever. Like veterans following the routine of getting up, going to work, coming home, going to bed. You can't do that. That's just the bottom line of it. You've got to have more to your life than that. Because that's what the military is. Yeah, well you mentioned that. something really interesting. I don't think we mentioned it on, on mic actually. But like when you leave, you, you sort of get a bit lazy because you're not being told yeah, what do, to yeah. do. Um, that's pretty much why we started the dog walks. Um 75% plus is the thing when you leave the military. So when you leave, a lot of us become lazier. We've been told to get up for 7 a.m. and train every day. And we can't can't do that, do you know what I mean? Can't yeah. do that. Like it, One of the things, reasons I don't shave is because I've been told to shave every day in my life. <laughs> the only reason I keep it groomed is because I think work would actually be annoyed if I looked a bit homeless. Like, yeah. Um, but fitness just drops off. People become lazier. So uh, what we what we aim to do is to, to, to not become lazy. So we put on dog walks, so it's low impact. It's getting out in the fresh air first thing in the morning, early afternoon. It's walking around, it's talking to each other. It's just being who you are. And it's a laugh. You can bring your dog as well, which is even fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, Tell me, listen, how, if I'm a business owner or someone who thinks I can help, how how can we help? Um, you drop me an email at Craig Monaghan, com and... I'll happily have a conversation with you because it's sometimes it's just about letting links. Yeah. Um, British Gas is a prime example. British Gas had a a lad who came onto Sharks Forces program was working for British Gas. He just came for a coffee. I, I don't be around. He literally was like, "Let's link up for a coffee." 
and he's now the Armed Forces Champion for British Gas in the North West. Yeah. And he's identified nine veterans that he was working with and didn't realise. We've I've gave him some tips to sort of thing and he checks in with every now and then. Like it just links like that. It's not even you don't even have to have a veteran. You might have a job that veterans have a lot to offer the workplace. Like the best thing about a veteran is we will find the quickest but best way to do something. Mm. Like that's just who we are. Don't get me wrong. I drag my feet at a lot of things, but that's because of fatigue easy now. Like I'm not this young, eighteen year old super elite soldier now. I'm a twenty eight year old wounded wanna be rugby player sort of guy. Like and that's so but that's what why we put the dog walks on, get people out, get people active. That's awesome. Um and then there's other things like we obviously like a lot of people like what we are looking for sort of like business wise is obviously the trust have got hundreds of projects. Well not hundreds, but we've got a lot. I yeah. Mean, we we're doing we do we are we're creating waves in the northwest and that's what we aim to do. But like things so like obviously with the balls to that thing that I mentioned earlier, the workshops. We come into the work business, we've gone into businesses that have no no military links so it goes in with me and a lad who got injured in rugby who got down whilst he was off injured talks about how his mental health was affected and then we go into my journey my story quite intensely and then we talk about stats figures ways to counteract that ways you can make your workplace a better place um mentally and how you can support employers if you are if you do have staff mental health now so in the public eye um it'd be wrong of a company not to not not to address it um, and that's what Ball Stats for is to provide that platform of how your staff can feel comfortable talking about it, how you can understand it more, and how my mindset worked to get to where I am now. And that's not to say I don't have bad days. Everyone in the trust will tell you some days. Like yesterday, I didn't speak to anyone. I actually snapped at someone, like bit at people. Like, and some days I can't even get out of bed and go in. Yeah. But for every bad day, it's about ten good days. It's about managing it. Yeah. And that's what Ballstart does. It teaches you how to manage it. Have we got all the answers? We we'll never will. But it's worth a project worthwhile. And that's sort of like probably why we put on that an evening an evening with me where it goes from the battlefield to the rugby ground. And it's a and a It's a chance for people to come down, chat, hear the story, speak to me. Um, uh, yeah. Say speak to me, it sounds really cheesy. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I think anyone who's listened to this will... Uh, invariably definitely want definitely want want to speak with you um do you know what craig i think i'm gonna gonna leave it there uh, i i am absolutely delighted that you're sharing a story i, I think i think it I is gonna make it. a huge it's nice difference. to obviously get it out on like a like a, a different platform um it's it's been a long journey to sort of get to a point where i, can, I feel comfortable talking and yeah like do i like all the cheesy sort of media stuff and no but you're gonna have to deal with this i'm afraid i deal with it i get it but <laughs> It's not about me now. It's about helping other people. And I think yeah. that's what this this provides me with that platform. And, and like, it's a chance to sort of, like, get out of get out of trackies and so put some jeans on. Just, rem- just remind us of uh, of your email for people to get in touch. So it's craig.monahan. So Monahan's M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N at salesharks.com. And we can also follow your, your rugby exploits uh, on Twitter at... Craig underscore Monahan and then the uh, Sharks... Trust now, Craig. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Vicky. Thank you too. 
um, that was that was really quite inspiring. So if you're out there and you think you can help sell sell shocks, forces trust in any way, uh, or you want to follow Craig, or you want to help out with Vicky, uh, just get in touch on the channels that we mentioned before. Once again, guys, thank you so much. Me and Byron will see you in preseason. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.